Episode number 50 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I am your host, John Chick. I really hope everybody had a fun time on New Year's Eve and everybody stayed safe and you're ready for some more New York Rangers hockey here in 2020. The Rangers, of course, coming off of a New Year's Eve loss to the Edmonton Oilers 7-5 and just a wild game, nearly an epic comeback by the Rangers. And one thing that we've learned from this team is, you know, they don't quit. And we saw that, obviously, in the game against the Canadians earlier this year in Montreal when the Rangers were down 4 to nothing in that game, came back to win that one. Just not meant to be this time. The hole just a little bit too big to climb out of. But yeah, a 6 to nothing deficit turned into 6-5, to five, and then the Oilers, unfortunately, sealed the game with a 7-5 win. And really, this is a tough game to grade for me because you can't discount what the Rangers did in coming back in this game. Because there are teams in this league that, you know, if you're down 6 nothing, you might kind of just throw your hands up and just say, oh, well, you know what? It's not our night. This just isn't going to happen tonight. We're going to lose. It is what it is. We'll, we'll pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off after this, and we'll come back strong for the next one. But the Rangers didn't do that. They came roaring back in this game. They got a goal in the final minute of the second period to cut it to 6-1, and then they, they rip off another four goals in the third period. Artemi Panarin had a hand in all of the Rangers' first four goals during that stretch, and they knock it down to 6-5 to five with three minutes and some change remaining. And unfortunately, the epic comeback just not quite meant to be. So you do have to give the Rangers a ton of credit for coming back in this game and not giving up. But by that same token, we can't then also give them a free pass for what was, you know, a pretty lethargic start to this game for the Rangers. They just didn't have their legs under them. The Oilers really brought the fight, and the Rangers just weren't ready to respond. And a little bit of a tone-setting goal right there in the first 11 seconds of the game. James Neal scores. The Oilers win the opening faceoff. They throw the puck around the boards, and Clefbaum gets to it. He passes behind the net to Cassian. Cassian dishes in front to James Neal, and Neal scores from the doorstep. And just like that, you know, well, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, Adam Fox was kind of late getting to this puck when when the Oilers played it around the boards, and I don't know what happened there, but he kind of just gave uh, Clefbaum a free pass to get there instead. And as we said, Clefbaum kept the puck moving behind the net. That set up the whole goal. But the other big thing here is the Oilers coming into this game had won just two of their last 10 games. And when you're up against a team like that, I mean, listen, you never want to give up an early goal in the first 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds of the game. I think that goes without saying. I think we can all agree on that. And it's one of those things, it will happen from time to time, at least every once in a while. You know, no team is immune from it. But man, you're playing an Oilers team that has really struggled recently and a team that has a little bit of a restless fan base over there, a team that despite having some superstars is on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. You get the feeling that it's a team that, you know, might start pressing a little bit if they fall behind in this game. So you really want to take it to them early. And I, I know there's a lot of talent on the Oilers team despite their record, and I know that it's in their building, but man, you, you can't do this to a team like this that's been struggling the way that it has. And again, you know, you just kind of give them a reprieve early in the game here. You let them play with a lead, which they have not been doing a whole lot recently. And just like that, the Oilers are off to the races. And like we said, they score the first 
six goals of this game. And I thought a theme here, and it was evident on this play, the James Neal goal that opened the scoring here, but it was also apparent throughout the rest of the game, the Rangers just not sticking their nose in to make plays early in this game. And you saw that in a couple of the goals, including this one, but the Oilers, the next two goals came on deflections, and on both of those goals, I thought the Oilers were able to kind of just set up shop in front of the Ranger net without a ton of defensemen. And look, I realize, you know, you can't, you're limited what you can do when somebody's, you know, positioned in front of your net. You can't just walk over and, you know, cross-check them in the throat. So I get that. But man, you got to move them a little bit. And Fox and Lindgren were on the ice for the, the James Neal goal at the beginning of the game here. And then they were also on the ice for at least one of the two deflection goals. And just like that, it's 3 nothing. And I, I don't know. I just think Lindgren and Fox, you know, you, you got to stick your nose in there a little bit more than they did. I'm not going to kill either guy because I think they both played very well this season. But yeah, I mean, the Rangers, these guys and, and the Rangers in general, just maybe a half step slow here in this game, and it cost them. It cost them on a lot of these goals where, you know, the Oilers, they just wanted to make the play a little bit more than the Rangers did. That's what it seemed like. And before you know it, you know, like we said, you're just a half step slow, but you're down three to nothing less than 12 minutes into the game, and sometimes that's all it takes, and that's all that it took here against, you know, an Oiler team. Like we said, they've underachieved, but the talent is there. They got some dangerous goal-scoring threats on that team, and they really just took it to the Rangers here in the first period. And Alex Georgiev, not blameless in this either. The first goal, you know, was preventable, but, you know, his teammates did him no favors. I think everybody had a hand in this. It was a rough night for Georgiev, and, of course, he got pulled when the Oilers made it 6 to nothing in the second period. And a lot of emotion from Georgiev on that play. He started, you know, slamming his stick against the posts. And it's funny because when you see Georgiev interviewed after games, you know, win or loss— He's usually, you know, pretty calm, kind of reserved, but you do see on the ice every now and then, man, those those emotions, they bubble up to the surface, and I'm fine with that. I, I'd rather see a guy get angry and pissed off rather than somebody who's going to, you know, put his tail between his legs and, and just start sulking and looking for the bench to take him out of the game. And of course, they did take him out of the game, but I'm sure if you ask Georgiev, he would have wanted to stay in this one. He was not begging off in, in any way, shape, or form there. Uh, Lundqvist came into the game, and he made six saves. He only faced six shots, but he stopped all of them. And it's unfortunate because, you know, with Lundqvist, he's obviously getting up there. You know, we've talked about this. He's 37 years old now. And when you give him a maintenance day and a a day off, you want it to be just that for Lundqvist. You want it to be a day off. You don't want him to have to come in in relief. But, you know, at the same time, when Georgiev is getting pelted for six goals, I don't think you really have a choice. So I don't have any fault with Quinn, you know, deciding to, to make the change at that point in the game. And, you know, it wasn't all Georgiev's fault, like we said. You know, there were other goals in this game. I, I thought on Dreisaitl's power play goals, Abanajad and Shea each had a chance to make the puck away and just a little bit late getting there, you know, and, and Dreisaitl makes them pay. He scores from the doorstep. And then when James Neal completed the hat trick, uh, Brendan Smith was basically just faked out of his skates by Connor McDavid. And I know it's Connor McDavid, you know, one of the best players in this game. You could make the case that he is the best player in this game right now. But that wasn't a good look either. You know, at some point, you, you just got to put a body on somebody and just, just find a way to knock them off the puck. And I know, Connor McDavid, that's not an easy task. But, you know, the Rangers just, again, not not sticking their nose in there the way that they're capable of and the way that they need to do against a skilled team like the Edmonton Oilers. Six more penalties from the Rangers and three more power play goals surrendered. And just to give you guys a little bit of context here, the Rangers, just so everyone knows, and this isn't me exaggerating their penalty issues, anyone who watches knows that this is the real deal. But yes, the Rangers do in fact lead the NHL in penalties. They have taken 184 penalties this season. The Ducks, number two, have taken 180. 
The Caps have taken 178, the Sharks 176, the Knights 170. You get the idea. The Rangers take entirely too many penalties, and quite frankly, they don't have a good enough penalty kill to get away with it. I mean, earlier in the season, the penalty kill got off to a decent start. It bailed them out a couple of times, but the Rangers now rank 24th in the NHL out of 31 teams in the penalty kill. They are killing off 77.3% of power plays. I mean, it's not an ungodly terrible number, but when you're taking as many penalties as the Rangers are, and then you mix it with a subpar penalty kill unit, this is what you get. So we've gotten through the bad parts of this game, but now I think we got to talk about the good at least a little bit. And, you know, again, they got off to a really bad start in this game, and they have nobody to blame but themselves for the fact that they found themselves in a 6 to nothing hole. But all that said... They did come roaring back. We do have to acknowledge the fight and the resilience that this team showed on this night. And really, just another day at the office for our Timmy Panarin. I mean, what do you even say at this point? You know, it's a goal and three assists. It's a four-point night for him, and it doesn't even seem like it's... Like, it's always special. A four-point night should always feel special, but with him, it's, it's just become so routine that you almost just kind of shrug your shoulders and just say, like, yeah, it's just, just Panarin being Panarin. But he had a hand in all of the Rangers' first four goals Got the primary assist on Chris Kreider's goal with 26 seconds to go in the second period. That got the Rangers on the board and cut the Oilers' lead to 6-1. to one. And then some of these passes on the next couple of goals were just unreal. we got to start with Ryan Strom's goal. Strom scored in the third period to cut the lead to 6-2. to two. And Panarin gains the blue line along the boards. He passes across the ice to Adam Fox, and Fox sends it back to Strom. A uh, really nice tic-tac-toe goal. And it all started by Panarin. And then this next one was just ridiculous. I mean, Panarin, he's skating in deep, and he sends a backhand pass from along the goal line between about three different Oilers there. I mean, just an inch or two away from three different players on Edmonton sticks. And yet somehow he still gets the pass through to Mark Stahl. Just a pinpoint accurate backhand pass through traffic to put it on a T for Mark Stahl, and Stahl buries it, and that makes it 6-3. Mark Stahl, by the way, that's his first goal since opening night. He scored the first goal of the season for the Rangers, so yeah, I mean, I know he's not going to score a lot of goals, but that is a lengthy goal-scoring drought, to say the least, but at least, you know, he gets on the board here. But Panarin, I mean, he is just something else, man, you know, and, and anytime a player comes to New York, or really just any new team in general, in hockey or whatever other sport, you do worry a little bit about their ability to adapt to their new surroundings and, and deal with the pressure and the expectations, but that has not been an issue for Panarin, to say the least. He's just been outstanding this season. He is the Rangers' lone representative on the All-Star team this season, although I got to mention this, we do have a chance to get Mika Zibanejad to the All-Star Game, and we've all got to take advantage of that situation and get out there and vote for Mika Zibanejad. He is one of eight players in the Metropolitan Division that is eligible to be voted into the All-Star Game, and I strongly encourage everyone listening to do just that. Just take a moment, pause the podcast, go cast your vote. It only takes a couple of seconds. Zibanejad is up against Tevu Taravainen, Nick Foligno, Nico Hishir, Brock Nelson, Claude Giroux, Chris Letang, and TJ Oshie. So some stiff competition to be sure, but when you look at just you know pure skill and when you also project what Mika's numbers would have looked like if he hadn't gotten injured, I think he's your guy. I think he's more deserving than anyone here. And obviously I'm going to say that. I'm Ranger Bias. I'm a big Mika's Advantage Ad fan. But nevertheless, think about it. You know, he missed 13 games and even so, he's stat-wise near the top of this entire list here. And the only guy who has more points on this list than Mika Zibanejad is Tevu Taravainen. 
And Teravainen has seven goals and 33 assists on the season, but he's done that in 40 games. Mika Zibanejad has 16 goals and 15 assists, and he's required just 26 games to get there. So comfortably more than a point per game for Mika Zibanejad. And again, when you consider the fact that he missed 13 games due to an injury, I think it's just obvious that if he was out there on the ice all this time, he wouldn't even be in this vote-in, you know, last-man-in uh, poll that the that the NHL is doing here. He would have far and away been elected to the All-Star game. It would have been a no-brainer. And I think when you take that into consideration, he's got to be the guy that emerges from this group as the last man in to the All-Star game. You know, you might also hear that. There, there's an argument to be made against that as well, because you could look at this and say, well, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. He missed 13 games. It is what it is. He doesn't get to have these phantom stats launch him into the All-Star game. And yeah, the case can be made there. But I don't know. For me, it's just you got to, even if he's slumped in those 13 games, he's going to get a couple of points. And to me, he's still far and away would be the most deserving guy. And the other thing that I should definitely point out is, you know, you've got eight guys on this poll and it's not all about, you know, the offensive fireworks for all of these guys on this list. But I mean, come on, you know, it's the all-star game, you know, it, it's very numbers driven. And I think most fans, you know, for an all-star game, they, they want scoring, they want skills, they want excitement. And no one on this list gives you that more than Mika Zibanejad. I know the all-star game, you know, the format is just ridiculous anymore. But nevertheless, I think you want a player of Mika's skill set in this game, in this competition. And again, I'm Ranger Bias, but I think Mika's the guy. And also, this would be his first all-star game. And a lot of these other guys have already been all-stars. So everything else being equal, you know, let's get somebody his first all-star game. So definitely take a minute, get out there. And uh, vote for Mika Zibanejad to be the last man into the All-Star game for the Metropolitan Division. And speaking of Zibanejad, getting back to this Oilers game, he scored with 3.45 to play, and that cut Edmonton's lead to just 6-5. to So from 6 to nothing to 6-5. to On the play, you know, the Rangers are just kind of swarming in Edmonton's zone, and Fox sets him up with a beautiful cross-ice pass. Good to see Fox kind of breaking out of his slump a little bit here, as far as, you know, assists are concerned. But yeah, Mika scored from just inside the right face-off dot. And you can say whatever you want about how the Rangers started this game. And I made my thoughts clear. They they were simply not good enough at the start of this hockey game. But you look at it now, and this would be a legendary comeback. There's there's no other term for it. This does not happen. Teams do not come out of six-goal deficits in this league. And here the Rangers are with three minutes and change left, uh, one goal away from, from bringing this thing even and getting a chance to win it. Unfortunately, just not meant to be. The Oilers seal the game with an empty net goal with a minute and seven seconds left. And I always hate that, you know, when it, whenever, obviously you got to pull your goalie, you got to take your chances, get the extra man out there and try to get the equalizer. But I always hate giving up an empty net goal when there's more than a minute remaining, because just like that, you're back down by two goals. And at that point, it's pretty much over. It's not impossible, but you're, you're looking at a loss more often than not. But when you give up the goal with more than a minute left, it's like, man, we could have had so many more opportunities in that last, you know, 65 seconds or 75 seconds or whatever it would have been and just like that the empty net goal is scored and it's just a total gut punch because you know maybe you would have had some some more chances there I mean if you give up an empty net goal with five seconds left I mean it's it's whatever you know who cares at that point because you're going to lose the game anyway but when you give one up with a minute and change to go it's tough because again you know you don't know you're just one scoring opportunity away from tying the game and you know the Rangers would have had a chance here would have been nice especially in a game like this to see them you know, get that extra minute and five seconds to try to find the equalizer and complete the comeback, but just not meant to be. It is what it is. Uh, Rangers, just too big of a hole to climb out of. They gave it the old college try, but they fall to the Oilers 7-5, to and the modest two-game winning streak comes to an end. 
I wanted to shift gears just a minute here and talk a little bit about the World Juniors. I happen to be working from home today, so I was able to catch a little bit of the United States' uh, quarterfinal matchup against Finland. The U.S., of course, suffering a one nothing loss. And just one of those games where I didn't think that the United States ever really could get their game into fifth gear, if you will. I mean, it was a tightly contested defensive game. It was a well-played game overall, but just one of those things where there were so few scoring opportunities for the United States, and you got to give some credit to Finland as well, but we never saw the U.S. kind of play at full speed as they had been earlier in the tournament, and it's unfortunate because, you know, one loss and you're done. You know, this is the quarterfinals, and it's single elimination from here on, and the United States in the opening round, they won three games. One of them was in overtime and lost just one, the opening game to Canada, so they came in on a three-game winning streak. But unfortunately, you know, it's just not meant to be. And hockey, you know, I never really think that hockey should be a single elimination tournament. But I also understand why it is single elimination in this particular tournament. Because, you know, these these kids are young and they're not going to have them playing, you know, a best of seven every round and have a tournament that goes on from now until the end of time the way the Stanley Cup playoffs do. And they should. The Stanley Cup playoffs are amazing, and I wouldn't change a single thing about them. They absolutely should go the two months that they take. But for something like this, yeah, you're not going to have, like, best of five, best of seven, anything like that. And it's just unfortunate because, you know, you play one subpar game and you're done. And I know that some people, you know, maybe the interest will begin to lapse a little bit now that the United States is out of the tournament. But not for me. I'm going to keep watching this tournament as much as I can. In fact, right now, uh, Czechoslovakia playing Sweden in the final quarter, final matchup. I'm keeping an eye on that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's great hockey. It's unfortunate that the U.S. is out, but this is this really is a cool tournament. I've watched as much of it as I can. It's hard to, you know, sit down and catch every single minute of every single game. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that because this tournament is on, you know, early in the morning. I mean, there's games that start at 4 a.m. Eastern time, and there's games that, you know, even the later games, they start at like, you know, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. So a lot of people working during those hours, and, you know, you can catch it afterward, but then you got the Rangers to watch as well. So there's only so many hours in the day and almost only so much hockey that you can watch, but I do plan on, you know, watching some of these games going forward. After today, you know, it'll be down to the semifinals, and then, of course, you know, you'll have the gold medal game and the bronze medal game after that. So, yeah, looking forward to that. You know, it'll be interesting, and, you know, it means a lot to these players. It's pretty obvious these guys wear their hearts on their sleeve during this tournament, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that, and I'll talk about that, you know, from time to time going forward here on the podcast, but I do want to keep it mostly on the Rangers because, after all, this is the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. So, we'll get back to the Rangers right now. And I just want to talk a little bit about what's to come for the Rangers here in the new year and in the new month. Because, I mean, you turn the, the calendar over and you see all the different opponents that the Rangers are going to play. And you, you kind of just take everything in, you know, as you see the month, as you're looking at the month on the whole. And the one thing that has to jump off the page for any Ranger fan, and for that matter, any Islander fan, is the fact that these teams play each other three times this month. And that's a lot. And not only do they play each other three times... They play each other three times in the span of just eight days. They square off on Monday, January 13th. That'll be in the Garden. And all three of these games, by the way, the puck drops at 7 o'clock. So that'll be the first matchup at the Garden, Monday, January 13th. Then we go to Nassau Coliseum on Thursday, the 16th. And then the Rangers will have a home game against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Sunday, the 19th. But then once again, playing the Islanders at home on Tuesday, the 21st, again at 7 p.m., 
it's just kind of a weird scheduling quirk. I mean, it's kind of surprised that, you know, the Rangers and Islanders haven't played each other at all this season. And here we are just about right at the halfway point of the season, really. it'll be, In fact, it'll be past the halfway point of the season by the time we play them on January 13th, because there's five games this month before that. But, you know, you kind of just hope that these teams don't tear each other's heads off during these three games. I mean, it'll be entertaining for us, but you want to get out of there healthy without any injuries. And you can expect physicality, you can expect extracurriculars after, you know, just about any whistle. It doesn't take much. You know, one post-play skirmish, one post-whistle get-together is all it takes. You know, it's very combustible elements anytime the Rangers are playing the Islanders. Uh, I would assume Michael Haley would probably be active for at least two of these games, if not all three. You know, he's got to be out there to keep an eye on his guys. And then I really hope that Brendan Lemieux is back for these games for, for a lot of reasons. I mean... You know, we know I haven't made any secret. I'm a big fan of Brendan Lemieux. I love what he brings to the ice. I love the edge. I love the grit. I love all that. He's, of course, dealing with a broken hand right now. But you put him on the ice against the Islanders, and if he doesn't go looking for trouble, trouble will find him. Either way, you can bet your bottom dollar that Brendan Lemieux is going to be involved in, if not, you know, a straight-up fight, then certainly a lot of pushing and shoving and scrapping after the play. And he'll he'll keep an eye on his teammates. You know, he's going he's gonna to protect his guys. It is sure to be a nasty couple of games, and Brendan Lemieux will be right in his element out there. So, yeah, really hope he can make it back by then. We will keep an eye on that. So that's what we all have to look forward to later this month. But what about the short term? Well, for now, the Rangers are going to continue this four-game road trip across Canada. They, of course, won the first game, just a thrilling victory against the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that had been white hot, and the Rangers go in there, and they find a way to claim a 5-4 to four overtime win. They follow that up with... You know, a disastrous start against the Edmonton Oilers. They almost come back, but they lose 7-5. to So 1-1 one one so far on this four-game road trip. And they are back in action in Calgary against the Flames at 9 p.m. tonight. Flames, you know, they're really just one of those teams that just hasn't really gotten it going this season. You know, they came in with a lot of fanfare, a lot of hype. They've certainly got a lot of skill. You know, that top line they have of Goudreau and Monaghan and Lindholm, you know, I thought coming into this year that that would be you know, among the deadliest lines in hockey, and they've played well. You know, all three of those guys have averaged about three quarters of a point per game, but when you're dealing with superstars of that level, you think they're going to be good for, you know, a point plus per game, and certainly in the case of Goudreau. And there's guys in this league that would sign up for the numbers that these this trio has in about two seconds. But yeah, again, you know, that this was looking like it would be one of the most dangerous lines in hockey so far this season. It has not quite worked out, and the Flames right now are sporting a record of... 20, 17, and 5. They are a point out of the final playoff spot. So it's a big game for them, just like it's a big game for the Rangers. And there were rumors not too long ago, and I think they've died down a little bit recently, but there were rumors that the Flames might be interested in trading Johnny Gaudreau, and I don't get that at all because what in the world are you going to get in exchange for Johnny Gaudreau that it's going to be worth it? I mean, he's an extremely talented player, and the fact that he's having a little bit of a down season, at least by his standards, that brings his value down along with it, and you wouldn't get fair value back for him, or even close to fair value. Even if Johnny Gaudreau was at the top of his game right now and you know leading the league in points and, and just playing like a bona fide all-star, what are you going to get back for him that's going to make you, in two to three years, look back and say, yeah, that was a good idea. We really needed to run Johnny Gaudreau out of town. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So the, the fact that they would even consider this is, is very surprising to me. And, you know, again, I, I do think that talk has died down a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I, to trade a player of his caliber, I, I don't know what you would do that for and what you would be expecting to get back in return that's going to pay off in the long run. We've also got a really fun goalie matchup tonight that we got to talk about. 
Henrik Lundqvist is going to be back in net for the Rangers. Really, that was the only choice. And Lundqvist played pretty well his last time out. You know, he, he went up against the Carolina Hurricanes in his last start. He continues to own them. He is 3-0 against the Canes this season. He stopped 39 of 42 shots in that game. So he's going to be back in net for the Rangers. And he will be opposed by Cam Talbot, who, of course, was Lundqvist's backup for a couple of years in New York. And something that, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize or certainly that they don't talk about with Henrik Lundqvist is I think he always has a really good relationship with his backup goalie. And when you're a superstar on the level that Lundqvist has been at for as many years as he's been a superstar in this league— I don't think you're really obligated to, you know, necessarily, you know, put your arm around the backup goalie, but he does it anyway, because that's the kind of guy that Henrik Lundqvist is, and I don't think it's any coincidence when you look at Cam Talbot and also Antti Ranta, both of those guys were not with the Rangers for a long time, just a couple of years each, but both of those guys played far and away the best hockey of their NHL careers when they were backing up Henrik Lundqvist in New York. And there was even a stretch there where Ranta briefly became the starting goalie the one year because he was just on fire, and Lundqvist didn't throw a fit. He kind of just shrugged and was just like, hey, I understand it. I mean, the kid is unreal right now. Why would anyone take him out of the starting lineup? And that was short-lived. You know, it didn't last for too long. But, you know, it, it just goes to show that, you know, Lundqvist, he's very uh, welcoming. He's very friendly with his backup goalies. And, again, I don't think it's a, a mystery why, you know, both Cam Talbot and Antti Ranta had career seasons when they were teammates with Henrik Lundqvist. I get the feeling he's got a lot of good advice to offer. So we're kind of going to get a master versus pupil matchup tonight in goal. And, you know, I don't want to see... I mean, obviously, I want the Rangers to do as well as possible, but if I have the choice between the Rangers winning this one 6-5 to five or winning it one nothing, yeah, give me the one nothing. Let's have Lundqvist get a shutout, and let's have Talbot have a nice game, too, because I always liked Talbot when he was here, and he's in a little bit of a timeshare in Calgary right now, although, really, David Riddich has been playing the majority of games. Riddich has made... 32 starts this season compared to just 10 for Talbot. But Talbot's been playing a little bit more recently, so maybe the door's starting to crack open a little bit there, and maybe he's got a chance to be the starting goalie for them going forward. Again, I was always a big fan of Talbot when he was here, and hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll get some more playing time. But hopefully the Rangers come away with two points tonight, and the Rangers can bounce back and also carry over that momentum. You know, the Rangers, they, they close out this game scoring, you know, the five straight goals to cut it to 6-5, to five, and then they only gave up the empty netter there at the end. So, you know, hopefully the, the offensive fireworks are out there making things happen, and hopefully the Rangers can, can roll to a win here tonight. You know, there's part of me that doesn't want to see Cam Talbot get lit up for six goals, but at the same time, hey, go Rangers. But yeah, I'm all up for a goalie duel tonight, and I'm going to go against the grain a little bit because, you know, the Rangers give up a lot of goals. The, the Flames are in the bottom half as well as far as goals allowed per game. They are over three goals allowed per game. And I'm going to say the Rangers come away with a 2-1 to victory tonight. And maybe I'm undershooting how many goals are going to be scored in this game, but I don't know. I just get the feeling that, you know, Lundqvist and Talbot have both played well recently, and I think they're both going to be up for this. You know, it's got to be a lot of fun for them as well, going up against a former teammate and just wanting to be the better man for just one night. So again, a little bit of a bold prediction tonight, but give me the Rangers the 2-1 victory in Calgary. So that's going to do it for today, guys. Once again, thanks for joining. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And be sure to give us a follow on Twitter, at L-O-N-Y-Rangers. Again, that is at L-O-N-Y-Rangers. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you next time.